Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub and CISO Talk Podcast, Veteran November Series that honors the brave men and women who serve this nation by sharing their stories of service. Each year for the entire month of November, we publish a daily podcast about these veterans. Buckle up and get ready for Veteran November. And now your host, James Azar. All right, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of Veteran November. I apologize. The series was supposed to be a month long. It's only about 10 or 11 episodes in total. Uh, baby came through. Uh, life happened. And so uh, hopefully next year I'll be able to bring it back greater and better than ever before. Joining me today is a really dear friend of mine, a fellow Army vet, and just a really all-around great guy, Mr. Sir Child. How are you doing, good sir? I'm <laughs> doing great, James. How about yourself? And, and you know, congratulations to, to you and your wife on the birth of your baby. Thank Absolutely you. beautiful boy. Full head of hair and just, yeah, spectacular. Yeah. Full head of hair and God forbid when he's hungry. There <laughs> is, he does not cry. He roars. It's right? funny. My, my nephew was colicky for, for the better part of his like first six months. And no matter what they did, they couldn't get him to stop crying. And come to find out he was just hungry all the time and would consume twice uh, the normal rations that uh, a child of that age. So, yep, that, that you've pretty much described my son at this point. This kid only ate two ounces for maybe two days. <laughs> right. From that point on, he was just like, give me food. Um, so, but it's the beauty. We live in the greatest country on earth where, you know, I can go to any store and get them baby food. Right. So, but thank you so much for taking time to be with us today, Daniel. Yeah, uh, I kind of ruined the branch of military you were on because I said fellow army vet, but you know, and, and you've got it like right there under your name for those watching, I, but, tell, I love you. but tell us a little bit about the military. Um, you served in the army. What job did you do? So uh, I started off as a 6-2 Bravo, which was a heavy construction equipment repairer. When I was in Bosnia, I helped out um, on the IT side when there was a critical issue where the flyway kit fell down. Uh, I got noticed by our uh, battalion commander uh, prior to, to the army from the age of 
15 to 21, I was working in Atlanta doing IT, um, building computers, building networks. And so uh, they actually had me as their ISSO or their uh, information system security officer, which took care of the battalion uh, network. When I, I was stationed in, in Baumholder, Germany, as part of the uh, 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 47th Ford Support Battalion, supporting 1-6 infantry, as well as 40th engineers, um, and got transferred over to Fort Hood, Texas. And he called my incoming colonel and explained about uh, my my skill set and uh, ended up doing that as well as being a weapon specialist, a unit armor uh, for the 204th Ford Sport Battalion out of uh, Fort Hood, Texas, 4th Infantry Division. Fort Hood, Texas, man. How long were you in the service all in all? Uh, all in all, I was in for uh, four years, seven months. Uh, I basically had a delayed entry due to uh, my misspent youth where my uh, background check went a little longer than it was supposed to. <laughs> you know that's like one of the things that most people like forget about right when they work in the service is like the background check you can like you can like enlist and go on board and your background check could take a year um you know it's 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 fascinating well for me it's it's quite memorable because there there are two parts that that of that background check that were absolutely phenomenal for me. One is uh, they held me before I went to Germany, just in case it came through badly. Um, so I ended up working at the drill sergeant Academy in Fort Leonardwood. And um, yeah, first sergeant Hildebrandt was one of the first sergeants that I will never forget because he was the only first sergeant I know that ever wore around Brown. And he had a voice like he gargled with Listerine and, and gravel. So, you know, he'd be like, Sergio, I need you to, and just had that low, deep, raspy voice. And I remember being on the back deck of the Drill Sergeant Academy, watching the fire department, like freshen up the mud pit. And all these, all these candidates for Drill Sergeant School came out and they were smoking them. And I loved it because I knew what they had gone through. And I'm seeing them, you know, do push ups and flutter kicks, running and all this mud. And the only thing you really see on them were their teeth or their eyes because they're so covered in mud. And I'm just howling, laughing on the back deck. And all I heard was, Sergio, what, what's so funny? You think that's funny? My candidates are going through this. Come on. And so he literally gave there were 10 of them out in that pit. He gave each one two minutes of smoke time in that pit uh, with me being the one being smoked. And so uh, I remember having to walk back to my barracks because so it's it's Missouri. It's October. It's cold. I'm wet. I'm muddy. People are beeping their horns at me because I'm covered in mud. I get to my battalion and uh, there's a whole new group of, of folks coming from basic into advanced training and they were coming on the cattle car. And evidently, uh, First Sergeant Hildebrand had given these guys a heads up that I was coming and they're like, here, hide around the corner, hide around the corner. So I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'm permanent part there. I'm, I'm going to do whatever they ask. And so they pull all these folks off there and they're like, you think it? And I'm cleaning this up because some of the language that was used back then, um, <laughs> they can't use these days so they're like you think just because you left basic that things are going to get easier Serge, i'll post and I'm, I'm i'm up there and just my bdus were always pressed because that was the drill star academy you had to have the highest standards and so these mirror shine boots are covered with mud i'm covered with mud and like so he's permanent party here he's one of our he's one of our staff and he still gets smoked and they pulled out a fire hose from the side of the the side of the building and literally sprayed me down in front of all these, all these uh, recruits, 
that are coming into AIT and uh, then took them to, to the wood chipper and uh, basically smoked them for an hour. And uh, so I, outside of being thoroughly embarrassed and my teeth chattering because it was so cold, it was an experience I'll never forget. I'll be honest. <laughs> Why did you enlist? So it's funny. There's, you know, when you talk about enlistment and you talk to different people, people do it for education. People do it for the money. People do it because they come from a, a low socio socioeconomic background and they feel that the military is the only way I was lost. Right. Um, I basically had screwed up in college. Um, I had made some poor choices that, led me into some legal hot water and my dad was former air force. He's like, you should join the air force. That's the only thing that's going to straighten you out. And me being me, I'm like, you know what? Forget you pops. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the army, you know, and hindsight being 2020, I should have joined the air force. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, part of it was I didn't want my parents paying for, for my college anymore. Uh, especially if I wasn't going to be living up to their expectations. And that was one way of doing it. But I also, I, I needed something to to ground me and to, to help me understand what I wanted to do with my life at that time. Cause I kind of felt like I was floating. I was floundering. And uh, to be quite honest with you, it's one of the best things I ever did. You know, so the military is excellent at giving structure, giving purpose, kind of teaching discipline and, and good habits and kind of eliminating bad ones. Right. People yep. talk about the first three days in basic um, or AKA hell week or, or whatever you want to call it. But those three days really um, within the first 12 hours, if they haven't broken you down, you'll be broken down within the next five, six hours. Right. But the end of three days, you'll do whatever just to get two consecutive hours of sleep. Um, and so it, it does that. And you look back at that and, and Daniel look back at that. And what's one skill that you got from the military that's really been instrumental in your life? Oof. There's been so much that came out of the military, but probably the biggest one for me is patience. Um, you know, prior to going in, I was very, I would, uh, I mean, I would react instantly to, to anything that came my way, whether it was positive, negative or other, and not being able to kind of stand back and take a look and, review all my options in my head and kind of work out, you know, what the outcomes or effects of that would be prior to opening and engaging my mouth. So uh, patience is a huge one. Um, my love of, of uh, country. I mean, being a first generation American, my dad's a Haitian immigrant. My mom's from Liverpool, England. So I'm, I'm the first one uh, from my parents that, that joined the military. I followed my dad's footsteps into it, but understanding, you know, understanding my father was a huge thing because he very much was, nobody's going to give you anything in life and you need to earn everything that, 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 that you get. You have to work hard for what you're doing. And I never understood that as a kid. I grew up in, in an upper middle class neighborhood, or as my mom liked to call it, an upper middle class ghetto. Um, and, you know, when things are handed to you, I saw kids that, you know, were doing things. And, and, and the reason that they were making poor choices and everything else is because they had no, they had 
no understanding of what the consequences were, right? But in my house, I mean, it was hard. This is prior to laws changing where the belt is no longer to be used. I mean, the worst thing I ever heard in my house was the belt clearing the belt loops because that's how punishment was doled out. And I'll be honest, I learned a lot of hard lessons through my dad. And it wasn't until I went in the military that I understood that, you know, him being a Haitian, being, you know, literally coming over to the United States, um, joining the joining the Air Force, going to Vietnam, all the things that he sacrificed and understanding that sacrifice. I didn't I didn't quite get that until I was in, right? When you're you know, in a third world country, in a war zone, and you're looking at all these folks that have absolutely nothing, and then you can appreciate everything that you have back home, and, you know, you're getting rained on, it's cold, it's wet, you're sleep deprived, and I I signed up for that, um, but others just, you know, the, the, the warmth of a, of a dwelling, having your mom and dad, not having to worry about if you know, some warlord's going to come in and, and and take your life or not worrying about if your child is going to pick up a teddy bear that's attached to a landmine. Um, you know, these aren't things that, that, that are in a conscious here and in a lot of places around the world. And so to be able to see that and then see the smile and joy of kids in orphanages and refugee camps when we would show up and just the littlest thing like a pencil would make them light up or being able to play soccer with a bunch of soldiers that showed up with M16s, put their guns down, put it over to the side so a guard could watch it so we could go play soccer with them. I mean, that made me understand and appreciate literally everything I have in my life or had in my life up until that point. You know, you just kind of combined my two questions, right? Which is what does America symbolize to you and, and what the military taught you? And it seems like the military taught you a few things, and one of them is love a country. Um, is there anything you would add of what this country means to you? Absolutely. And it's something that was taught to me by my dad, but also the military. You know, um, the American dream, right? My dad had to work for that, and I had to work for that. And everybody that that has been successful here had to work for that, but that's because the opportunity is there, Right. It's not something that's guaranteed to you. It is if you work hard enough, you get that opportunity. And that's what, for me, really, really made it clear for me um, and my family. Because, I mean, you learn about failure. And in that failure, you learn how to do things better. But the thing is, you know, there are some places that, that you never have that opportunity granted to you. You never have the freedoms that are bestowed upon us here in the United States. Um, and just being able to have that opportunity, it's worth fighting for. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, after I got in, I was, I was so, you know, so gracious. I mean, I, it, it, it's, it, it's something that just, it really helped to understand the meaning behind that, not just taking it for granted. I completely agree. Um, and thank you for that. That was really articulate. Very well said. Um, what's one key takeaway you took from uh, your transition at the end of your service? Well, there are a couple of key things I, I, I took away from my service and, and brought into my civilian life. One is, you know, when if you don't plan, you plan to fail, 
right? And the second one is <laughs> every plan is every, there's not a single plan in the world that that won't survive first contact with the enemy. And what I mean by that is if you go into your career, your life without any goals or structure or understanding of what you want out of it, you're going to get what you plan for, which is nothing. Right. So even in, in life, you know, I was scared to death coming out of the military because I'd heard these horror stories of people that had left that were floundering. And the only thing that they had left was the military and they came back into it. And I didn't want that for myself. So I, I put together goals. I put together plans. I broke it down day by day, week by week, month by month and knock those off. Because if you have these grand goals and you don't have like sub goals to them, um, it, it's, it's, it's basically like eating the elephant. You're trying to eat the entire elephant in, in one gulp rather than a piece at a time and whittling away on that. First one was, you know, get my resume updated. The military helped me with that. Um, refining that, talking to other people, especially tapping the veteran network as far as what would help. I remember my first res resume had so many military acronyms. And I think at one point when I talked about military, military systems, uh, I want to say it was probably with, with Cox communications. I said it was classified, which it was, but there are other ways to articulate that, that I didn't <laughs> understand at the time. Um, but you know, the, the goal planning and, and setting goals for yourself, like I said, not only in your personal life, but, but in your professional life, um, that goes a long way. And even if it's a napkin and you write down things that, that you want to achieve, uh, and they're on a grand scale, just break them down a little smaller. And, you know, we talked about this last year about uh, tapping, tapping the, the veteran network and, and, and tapping, uh, your network in general. I don't know how many opportunities I have had in life because I actually took the time to reach out to my network and ask for help. Uh, a lot of us are hard chargers and hard headed and we're like, we can conquer the world by ourselves. But at, at the end of the day, and, and I hate using this term, but it takes a village, right? And it takes your friends. It takes your families. There's always opportunity that you never know about if you're just doing it by yourself. Indeed. And finally, we're a bit over time here, but finally, what's one, no, don't worry about it, man. This has been awesome. What's one thing you've loved about your military service? The esprit de corps, the camaraderie. I don't know. I mean, I still have a lot of friends that, um, that I met, that I met in the military that I'm still friends with today. Yeah. And some of the stories that come out of it, and I get asked all the time of, whether I would do it again. And the answer is even with the most horrible parts of it, I would still do it again. And unfortunately I've lost a lot of friends over time and I think about them all the time. Um, and with that, I still, they still live on through the memory and through, through my memories, through my friends' memories. Through, through that, um, through that uh, bottle of uh, bourbon and. Uh, um, I mean, if I drink bourbon, sure. But um, no, I mean, you no, know, no, what, what I mean is, you know, the memories are often uh, when we all get together and we uh, open a bottle of bourbon and we start talking. And yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about the uh, laugh memories. I'm not talking about the uh, not dismissing the pain that we all feel by losing someone in the battlefield. Um, yeah. I think those are those are. Um, there's grief and then there's 
celebration, right? And there's that grief when we're thinking of someone, but then there's that celebration when we're smiling because of that someone, yeah. uh, whoever he or she may be. Um, we, 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 we tend to, uh, we tend to do that. And, you know, um, just a few months ago, we lost 13 Marines in, in Afghanistan. And, um, I know I was talking to several people who, who are working with some of the survivors of that attack, uh, who've lost their brothers and sisters on the battlefield. And, yeah. and that, that range of emotion is, cannot be dismissed, cannot be understated. Um, and sure as hell, uh, uh, can be taken for granted. Yeah, and I, I think I would be remiss if I don't bring up that, you know, Afghanistan and what happened in Afghanistan, especially at the end, has opened up a lot of things yes. for folks yes. that, that aren't good. Um, we lose 22 veterans a day. And, you know, veterans account for over 18% of the homeless. And 22 veterans a day commit suicide over their service to this country because either the demons are too much or they didn't get the support that they need. So, you know, that's that's a real thing. And that's outside of the battlefield. So or outside of military service. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when I think of Veterans Day, I not only think about and Memorial Day, I not only think about those I've served with, but also the ones that are still dealing with issues coming out of their service so indeed um and that's so well articulated daniel thank you um folks daniel sergile um joining us today army vet um you guys can see more about daniel in the show notes below um if you're watching us on youtube please uh, make sure to connect with daniel a comment of thank yous literally uh can make a veteran smile on any day um I got to tell you, there's nothing, there, there's nothing that puts a smile on your face when someone says, Hey, did you serve? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, thank you for your service. And you're like, all right. And you smile and you kind of, uh, like, a, yeah. I had a, it, it, real quick, I had a conversation about that and I learned this was on, I think that Memorial day, like five or six years ago from, from a buddy of mine, Jack, who had served in Afghanistan and Iraq as a tank commander. And we were kind of off to the side and I'm like, I feel so uncomfortable when people thank me for my service. And, and Jack's like, you understand that's the only thing that they have to be able to show their appreciation to you. And I'm like, how do you deal with that? And he goes, it's very simple. You thank them for their support. And I've used that ever since. And, and it's been one of those things that just like really resonated with me. Yeah. Thank you for your support. Indeed. Especially in a time like today. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for us here for another episode of veteran November. Again, uh, 10 days worth of episodes this month. I, I, I do apologize. I, Wanted to fulfill the full 30, um, but life had different plans for me this year. So uh, we'll be back next year with, I know, a full month worth of stuff. But this year it's only 10 days, so make the most of it. Uh, say thank you to these veterans um, and, and go donate to a great veteran cause, uh, Wounded Warrior Project and so many others, the Gold Star families especially. Um, they're the ones that really need that most support um, because – they literally do need it. Um, they do not get the support they need uh, after their loved one has paid the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, there's the Valhalla Project and 22 Day Fund as well, which yep. is out there. Folks, that's it for us here. Until next time, thanks so much for watching, and God bless the United States of America. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.